This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Four minutes after the hour, it's Tuesday, November 16th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Gertrude the Great, the medieval nun who had a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus that eventually would spread centuries later. I'm John Morales along with... Glenn Leverance, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you once again here to start your morning. On Tuesdays, we often pray to our guardian angels. We have to have a special devotion to our guardian angels on Tuesdays, the day that we always remember to ask them for help. Let's pray also for our shepherds, the U.S. bishops who are meeting in Baltimore in person at the annual USCCB fall meeting. And this is the first time uh, since before the pandemic in 2019 that they are getting together in person. Much of the intention uh, this year is on the controversial document on Eucharistic uh, coherence and the final document's possible ramifications uh, for pro-abortion Catholic politicians. So we will keep our bishops in our prayer. We begin every show and every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit whenever we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Now, with Advent just days away, Relevant Radio has a free and a simple way for you to grow in your faith during this Advent season and get ready for Christmas. All you have to do is sign up to receive Father Rocky's Advent Inspirations. These are short daily audio reflections emailed to you each morning, all during the Advent season. You can sign up for Father Rocky's free Advent Inspirations at relevantradio.com slash Advent, or just click on the banner on the Relevant Radio app. As we do every day, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from 1 Corinthians 11:27. The Apostle St. Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. As our U.S. bishops are discussing the Eucharistic revival for next year, this verse from St. Paul the Apostle warns us and reminds us about the importance of receiving the Holy Eucharist uh, in a worthy manner. If we receive the Lord Jesus in an unworthy manner, that is, in a state of mortal sin, we are guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. The Eucharist is... Jesus Christ himself, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. We must receive the Lord with a clean soul in a state of grace. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. 
Our number, if you want to be part of the program, is 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, can you believe that Thanksgiving Day is just a week from this Thursday? Typically, there can be a lot of stress at this time of year as we prepare for this national holiday. With the pandemic and the vaccine issues, it can be even more stressful for some families. Joining us now is Annabelle Mosley to talk about five ways to make the day Days leading up to Thanksgiving, more balanced with holy uh, holiness and growing in holiness uh, with Saints uh, Martha and Mary. Annabelle is an author, professor of theology, wife and mother, the creator of the Bethany Plan, offering busy Catholics a way to find a sacred balance. Uh, you can visit uh, BethanyPlan.com, where you can subscribe for her podcast of Novena Prayers to Saints Martha and Mary for a balanced life in Christ. Good morning, Annabelle. Welcome back to Morning Air. It's always good to be with you. Good morning, John. Great to be with you. Um, Annabelle, uh, first of all, uh, where'd you get the inspiration to connect Saints Mary and Martha, these uh, sisters of Bethany, uh, with the upcoming uh, Thanksgiving feast? Uh, I like to say it's kind of the culmination of my life's work. You know, I'm, I'm a professor of theology. I'm a student of scripture. And I find myself, I think we can all relate to this, right? That there's just these passages in scripture that we come back to again and again. And what I'm so moved by is that these are two women who hosted our Lord. And it makes me want to do the same. How would I welcome God? How can I use their example to welcome Jesus into my home and my heart every day of my life? And so you um, developed um, some practical ways, five ways to make these days uh, leading up to Thanksgiving a, a little bit more balanced and holy. Let's talk about uh, your first uh, suggestion. Um, how can we sure. start uh, th that day, Thanksgiving Day, uh, in, a, in a better way, in a stronger way? Sure, sure. And you know, the, the good thing too, John, is, is is I think most of these suggestions are even good for all nine days leading up because for, at least for those who are hosting, you know, the pile of things to do just mounts. Um, so for Thanksgiving or for the days where we're planning and we're cleaning and cooking or, or helping to reach out to those who are coming over, um, when things are at their busiest, we sometimes do forget to pray, right? So <laughs> ironically, it's prayer. That's the very thing we need that will help us get everything done. And I think so there's I was going to say I think that? That, that what you're saying not only applies to Thanksgiving, but really it's something that we should <laughs> yeah. have in our minds and in our hearts uh, every day. You're so right. No, it's true because there's always something that makes us feel, oh, it's so busy. There's too much to do. So the simple step we can take to really make the day run more smoothly and actually fit in more than we've ever thought we could fit in is just starting the day before we do anything else. Thanking God, and there's the Thanksgiving theme, thanking God, being grateful for protecting and preserving us as we slept overnight and immediately praying the morning offering. Um, I love to pray the brown scapular morning offering. It's um, sometimes known as the Fatima morning offering. And it just, it's just from my own life, I've seen that it changes the landscape of the day. When I don't do it, I, the day is not not as good. Can you share um, that, that beautiful prayer with us? Sure. You know, it's funny too, John. I don't, I wish I had it memorized. I'm looking at it up on my phone. You know what I do? I put it on the back of my curio cabinet in my bathroom. Oh, wow. Sure, sure. Because, you know, it's funny. I, it has to be that discipline where 
isn't it funny where even though I do it every day, if I don't, if I don't put it there, I will forget to do it because, you know, I'm a mom uh, as well as I have all these things to do. So, the, you know, I'll hear the kids' voices. <laughs> I have to have it right there. But it's this. It's, I- oh, my God in union with the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and then I kiss my brown scapular, which I love. I offer thee the precious blood of Jesus from all the altars throughout the world, joining with it the offering of my every thought, word, and action of this day. And then it's precious blood of Jesus, save us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Beautiful prayer. Wow. You know, I totally can relate. Um, I get up uh, a little before uh, 4 a.m. Central Time, and uh, like clockwork, I don't miss. The first thing I do is the morning offering, and I do it in the dark, believe wow. it or not, with just the light from my <laughs> iPhone in front of a crucifix yeah. in our bedroom. Don't want to wake up my wife as uh, she's sleeping uh. at that time. And uh, I do my morning offering in the dark just to kind of set the tone for the day, and I'm, you're so absolutely correct. You know, you, it, you, you have to do it every day to remind yourself of what really is important and just to give thanks for just those those 60 seconds that it takes to do the morning offering I think is so vital to get off to a good start yeah it's such a game changer because because before the day even starts right we're offering up every single thought word and action of our day so that way no matter what joys or challenges might come away our way we we've kind of offered them up already and that helps us to handle them better it's also that precious thank you to god and that's what this this whole holiday is all about it's that time set apart for god and i think it would make saint mary of bethany very proud because it's helping us to choose the better part right? It's it's helping us. Sometimes I think when we try to do that, you know, choose the better part, sit with Christ in prayer, uh, pause in prayer, we might have that temptation to worry about what might be taken from us, right? Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. So we should not be anxious because nothing is taken from us when we choose the better part. In fact, God really sees to it that everything else falls into place. I laugh about like the days that I choose to go to daily mass, which is I try to do it every day now. Sometimes it's it seems almost stupid for my schedule. Like, what am I thinking? How can I fit this in? I'm a mom. I have work. And yet, when I just trust in God and go and say, I'll be a fool. I'll just go. I'm a fool for God. I'm happy to do it. He always works everything out. I don't lose that time. I get it back through I, him. I love it. I, I think of uh, daily masses like the breakfast of champions. If we receive oh, our Lord every that. day, we're getting fed yeah. spiritually, food for the journey for the day. And uh, I tell you, that, that that half hour that it takes to go to daily mass, the grace that you receive from it, uh, yes. I believe really um, you know, takes you through the day and, and, and gives you uh, that strength to be able to deal with whatever comes your way. Um, our Your second suggestion, uh, remembering God even among the pots and pans, I find that <laughs> extremely interesting. Well, I love that quote St. Teresa of Avila told the nuns of her convent. Know that even when you're in the kitchen, our Lord is moving among the pots and pans. So what a great reminder as we're preparing the big Thanksgiving meal, or even if we're just the person bringing the side dish along to the party, it can be exhausting. It can be time consuming. It can be distracting. Sometimes we're tempted to think, oh, that's going to make us, you know, into the Martha mode of, of not of not pausing to choose the better part. But St. Martha is a saint too. And I love to remember that she's a saint and she cooked for our Lord. So how can we prayerfully do those tasks, whatever those tasks are? Um, 
looking at the kitchen example and going right back to needing a reminder, I actually taped a little reminder inside my kitchen cabinet. Um, it's in the one that I like kind of open the most. And um, it just says, offer up your daily chores, pray. I offer up my daily chores for the glory of God. So, you know, kind of in between reaching for the breadcrumbs and the, and the pepper <laughs> in a flash of a moment, we can just offer up our chores for God's glory. And suddenly what might seem a bit thankless or mundane, you know, the cleaning of the sink, the mopping of the floor, the chopping of celery, suddenly we're offering it up and it, it no longer feels at all too busy or too mundane. It feels like we're choosing the better part. Even in the kitchen, we're praying while making a wonderful meal. I think uh, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila had some great insights, and uh, we definitely can sanctify our work, even the little, small, little things, those little chores in the kitchen. Absolutely. Your uh, yeah, third I've... suggestion, um, I uh, sure. think, is also uh, very insightful, especially in this day and age of cell phones. Uh, talk to us about your, your third idea. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I was fun. I put offer a holy text on your cell phone. So as the big day approaches, you know, he, okay, so you're either hosting it at your house or you're attending. If you're hosting it at your house, wouldn't it be great to send a text to everyone who's going to attend and just say something like, I can't wait to see you on Thanksgiving. I'm so looking forward to welcoming and spending time with you. That really sets the tone for everyone who's on the guest list to feel more welcomed, more relaxed, more excited. Um, everyone loves to feel welcome. I don't think we really can go too far with that. And if you're going to be the guest, wouldn't it be nice to text the host even right now, even today, with all this, you know, all these days still to plan, just to tell them, I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Is there any way I can help you? Is there anything you'd like me to bring? And that simple text can really help lighten their stress and make them just feel so loved and thought about. I, I love to think of how the sisters of Bethany, Martha and Mary, welcome Jesus, you know, and, and he as a guest, he's the most gracious guest we could ever imagine. So let's bring that spirit to our holiday, you know, whether we're hosting or we're the guest. And if somebody doesn't text, obviously they can still adapt the same concept. Oh, make a, call. a simple, exactly. a simple little phone call and say, "Hey, Definitely. Joe, looking forward to seeing you on Thanksgiving. Uh, can't wait to, for you to come over." Absolutely, it really sets that tone and just starts. It, you know, it's going to be a holier, happier Thanksgiving because everyone's feeling welcome. You know, um, on a little related note, uh, when it comes to um, the uh, cell phone, I, I ran across um, a, a meditation, is, is very brief, about uh, our Bible versus our cell phone. And you as a professor of theology, I, I thought uh, you, you would enjoy this. The Bible versus the cell phone. You ever wonder what would happen if we treated the Bible like we treat our cell phones? If we carried it oh, around in our purses yes. and pockets like we do our cell phones, I think that, uh, you know, our, our Bible it can give us such inspiration and uh, you know it's it's something that we can actually do on the cell phone you can actually look up the Word of God before you text somebody for further inspiration uh, from the Word of God from our Lord yes and that sense of not being able to put the Word of God down not being able to start the day without checking it or end the day without looking at it one more time I love that that's beautiful John yeah it really hit home because you know we, we uh, you know we treat we carry our cell phones we we guard them we make sure we don't lose them what if we treated <laughs> our Bibles the same way you know with that kind of oh, reverence yeah. and hey this is my Bible and you know I don't I don't want to lose it and I want to use it r regularly I have three bar Bibles that are thoroughly marked up and underlined with notes in 
the margins. And I think of them almost like baseball mitts. They're, they're tools that oh. God has given us uh, wow. for, for our journey. And, um, you know, it, in fact, I was putting tape on it the other day, fixing it up because it was so beat oh. up. And, and I said, you know, I got to restore this. And it reminded me of putting new laces on an old baseball mitt. You know, God has given us these beautiful tools and the Holy Scriptures is, is, is priceless. I love that. I'm going to share that with my son, my little guy who started, you know, baseball and how, how he's taking care of his glove. And he also has his first children's Bible. And I'm going to make that comparison to him. I think he's going to love that. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, your fourth, fourth um, suggestion, uh, can you share with us as we get ready for Thanksgiving? Oh, sure. I, I, just to plan a break, like to plan in advance that on Thanksgiving, and hey, speaking of the cell phone, maybe we can use that just to ring a, an alarm out. Set aside even 15 to 20 minutes, whatever time you think it'll you know probably be convenient for you, or you can kind of wing it that day, whatever time opens up. But just 15 minutes to be fully present to the moment. Sometimes when we're hosting, it's just a flurry of busyness and you don't feel like you really attended your own gathering. If you're the cook or the host, plan for at least that time to leave the kitchen, just visit and participate with our guests. Um, if you're the guest, be sure you give at least 15 minutes helping the host or really listening to someone else. You know, it's bonus points if it's someone else who's no one else is talking to, you know, like, so first of all, if you use that time, the, the host is busy in the kitchen. If you go in there and you help, you really could make the day for that person. But also sometimes if, if we have a big family gathering, there might be someone quiet. If we could just bring our attention, oh, no one's really talking to them. Maybe I could go over and be a good listener. Or maybe there's a family member who I haven't seen in a while, or they're talking and they're having a great time, but I haven't really connected with them in a while. Let me, let me do that. Um, I think of my grandmother, actually, John, you know, I was so close with her. She, she passed away at almost 102 years old and she had six kids. She had 12 grandkids. She used to host most of the Thanksgivings. Um, and yet she managed to still find a, a way to make everyone welcome, even though she was so busy. And I, I think about actually the last Thanksgiving I had with her and I didn't know she was going to pass away in a few weeks. She was always so vital. Um, but she said to me, she was sitting, you know, she was older, she was 101 years old, and she noticed I was running around after my small children the whole time. <laughs> and out of nowhere, when the appetizers came out, she said to me, Annabelle, you know what, get a plate for us, get a plate for us, and we're going to share it, and we're going to sit together and talk. And I would always do whatever she asked me to do. So even though it seemed kind of crazy for me to leave the kids, I just did it. And you know what, the kids were fine. And... um I have to say, my grandmother and I had such a great talk. We laughed, we chatted, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was um, it was a gift she gave me to just take that time, not to be busy, and spend it spend it completely uh, taking in the moment with her. That's a great story, uh, Annabelle. And you know, I think it reminds me also of the importance of living in the moment and just uh, cherishing the moments uh, that we spend with our loved ones, with our family and friends, whether it's your grandmother or even our elderly parents. Um, none of us knows the day or the hour. It could be our last Thanksgiving uh, with a parent or a grandparent. And so I think it's important to just uh, live in the moment, like you say, be, be present in the, fully present in the moment. Definitely. Um, what about uh, your final suggestion, which may be the most important one of all? Uh, 
Yes, I love it. Invite our Lord to your thanksgiving. And so how can we do this in truth, right? How can we really invite him in? So I, I want us to all up our game for the way we pray grace this year. Let's just find a way to, to make the most beautiful grace. Whatever prayer we choose, let's pray with gratitude, kind of as you just mentioned, John, for those who are gathered around the table, really being present to, to say thank you for them, but also to pray by name for those who aren't there and the souls of the faithful departed, and to welcome Jesus not only through our prayer, but perhaps to have either like a sacred heart of Jesus picture, candle, holy card, or icon, something that's literally a reminder of our Lord, set amid the candles, amid the decorations. We usually love to make a beautiful table for Thanksgiving. Let's put an image of our Lord there and just to remind everyone of what it's all about. And uh, I think also to prepare our hearts to welcome him into our Thanksgiving preparations. I have a way to do it. Um, It's through learning from the examples of Saints Martha and Mary, and it's by invoking their assistance in prayer. They hosted him. They made Jesus feel welcome. He came to their house at Bethany again and again. So I actually have, and I'm offering a nine-day novena to Saints Martha and Mary. You can go to bethanyplan.com. That's my website. And just sign up. If you scroll to the bottom, it's at the very bottom of the footer of the website. Nine day novena. And it'll take you like nine to 12 minutes a day because I put reflections and some music in there. And it'll allow you to get all the items of your to-do list done, but ensure that you have that beautiful spirit of prayer to bring to Thanksgiving and all the prep for it too. Sounds uh, tr- tremendous. Uh, th- thanks so, so much for uh, your suggestions. Uh, a final word of encouragement. Invite our Lord to Thanksgiving. Let's prepare our hearts starting right now. We have nine days between now and Thanksgiving Day. With all we have to do, let's choose the better part. Let's welcome him in. Sounds fantastic. Thanks so much, uh, Annabelle. Appreciate it as always. Many blessings. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving in advance. Thank you so much, John. You too. Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, wife and mother, and the creator of The Bethany Plan. For much more, you can go to bethanyplan.com. We need to take a short break. As morning air continues, we're going to talk about a recent survey on why Catholics are leaving the church and why Catholics are staying in the church with Brendan Hodge, the contributing editor of The Pillar. Stay with us. This is going to be a very interesting conversation after a short timeout. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forrester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Twenty-nine minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins. Thanks so much for tuning in on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our number, if you want to be part of the show, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, every so often, a new poll from Pew Research comes out and gives some data on church attendance in the U.S., and every time the attendance seems to be going down and down. The fastest-growing denomination is said to be the nuns, that is the N-O-N-E. Catholic parents are 
of course, concerned. How do we keep our kids Catholic in an increasingly secular world? Joining us to give some real answers based on real data is uh, Brendan Hodge, a contributing editor from The Pillar and uh, originally a pricing analyst, and he still is one. If you haven't heard of The Pillar, I would suggest you check them out. They describe themselves as a Catholic media project focused on smart, faithful, and serious journalism from committed and informed Catholics who love the church focused on investigative journalism. Good morning, Brendan. Welcome to Morning Air. It's good to be with you. Good morning. Great to be on with you. Uh, being a pricing analyst, does that mean that you are a numbers guy? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I spend most of my day with spreadsheets. Oh, awesome. So tell us about this survey that the Pillar has, has done on Catholics, um, wh why they stay in the church, why they're leaving. Uh, why did the Pillar undertake this effort, and how is it being received? Yeah, so I think a lot of us see, as you pointed out, these kind of results from places like Pew Research that identify both that a lot of people are leaving the church and that a lot of people who are in the church do not necessarily believe everything that the church teaches. One of the reasons why the bishops are working on their document on the Eucharist is because a finding that Pew Research had is that of Catholics who go to Mass every week, only about 60% actually believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And that obviously is concerning to the bishops. So we wanted to understand a lot of these surveys, they're, they're primarily political surveys, and then they have some questions about religion and re religious belief. So we wanted to do a survey that was entirely focused on religious belief and practice and see if we could understand better both the American religious landscape as a whole. And then specifically, we did what's called an oversample, where you do your, your full national sample to understand how the American landscape lies. And then you talk to more people who were raised Catholic so that you can understand very specifically with them what's going on with Catholics and with ex-Catholics in America. And this special survey from the Pillar uh, is being reported in uh, multiple parts. Uh, can you kind of give us an overview of how it's, it breaks down? Yeah, so we published the results in five uh, segments over last week. Uh, the first one is kind of an overview of the American religious landscape, uh, how many people belong to which faith and how they move around between faiths. The second one is on specifically people leaving Catholicism, who stays, who goes, and is there any way to identify differences between people who remain Catholic and people who leave the church? The third one is on uh, the group you mentioned, the nuns, people who describe their religious beliefs as nothing in particular, which is the fastest growing religious category in the United States over the last 20 years. Uh, the fourth one is about how uh, religious practice and church attendance has changed in the U.S. during COVID. And then the last one kind of addresses some of the hot-button topics in Catholic news. So it asks questions about how much people trust church leadership, uh, about the Eucharistic document and the question of pro-choice politicians receiving the Eucharist, about the traditional Latin Mass, and about the synod on synodality. What's been the reaction so far? I'd be curious if any bishops uh, have commented and what they think, because it seems to me like this would be very valuable information. So our, our two leads, uh, J.D. Flynn and Ed Condon, are at the USCCB meeting reporting this week, and I did receive a note back from them that they were receiving a lot of positive feedback on the survey. 
Uh, I have not heard any on-the-record comments from bishops specifically about the results, uh, though we have heard from a couple of groups that are working on their own studies to support different aspects of the bishops' work who wanted to understand how we fielded the survey, get, get a look at the in-depth results, which we definitely shared with them, and, and get advice on, on their ongoing work to, to study the, the question further, because there's a lot to understand about Catholics in the Church these days. There's a ton of information uh, in these surveys. How long has the pillar been working on this? Uh, this has been about a three-month project overall. Uh, we had to develop the survey, and we got input from several sociologists and uh, a couple of uh, philosophers and theologians on how to phrase the questions in order to try to get interesting results from people. It took about a month to actually field the survey, so we had a research firm called Sentiment. They maintain a national panel of people who answer surveys, uh, both for kind of business marketing surveys and then for more opinion-type surveys. So they feel that it for us, and it, it's about a, a month there, because it's this process where you don't want to bias your sample by telling people, hey, do you want to take a survey about religion? So they have this national sample. It's representative based on age, sex, and region. And uh, these people would see a, we have a survey for you to complete. It would take about 10 minutes. Are you willing to participate? But they're not told who's fielding the survey or what it's about. And that way we get a very unbiased sample. And then once we got it back, we had to crunch all the numbers and see what it said. Uh, Brendan, I'm curious, uh, can you give us a, a little a thumbnail sketch on uh, the overall religious landscape here in, in our country today? Uh, how many people uh, are going to church these days? Yeah, so if we look overall at uh, church attendance across um, Catholics and Protestants, so people who say that they're affiliated with a, a normally church-going religion, um, it's between 30 and 40 percent of Americans say that they're going to church uh, weekly. You then have another 30 to 40 percent that say that they're going less often, and then the rest are yearly or never. Very, uh, very interesting. And this is both Catholics and, and, um, and other Christians, uh, Protestants. That's correct. The, the results that we saw for Catholics were actually very similar in terms of how frequently they say that they attend church to the results that we saw for Protestants. And how, how has that changed uh, during uh, the last 20-plus uh, months uh, during the pandemic? So that was actually one of the surprising results for us and kind of concerning. So we asked people two questions about church attendance. We asked first, kind of in normal times before COVID, what was your normal practice in terms of going to church? And then we had a second question where we said, since COVID, including distance things like, like a video streaming mass, how often do you attend church? And what we found was that of the people who said that they were going to church weekly before the pandemic, and I'm talking now about Catholics specifically, so I will say that Protestants were similar. 75% of those who said that they were going weekly before the pandemic say that they are still going weekly now. Uh, you then have uh, about 15% who said that they have been going weekly, but they're now going less often. And then you had about 5% who said that they're now not going at all. Now, that doesn't mean that mass attendance has dropped by 25% because there were some people who were going less often or never who now say that they are going weekly. So there's movement between the different groups. But overall, if we looked at the number of people who said that they were going to Mass weekly, it's dropped by about 14%. So that would mean if the priest is sitting there and he used to see 
100 people out there in front of him. Now he's only seeing 86. And, and that's a pretty significant change for the American church. What about the, the number of Catholics in our country? Um, where are we today? How does it compare with, let's say, a decade ago? So the, um, the survey obviously is a point in time. So what we know is how many people say that they are Catholic now. But one of the questions that we asked is we asked first, what's your current religious affiliation? And we gave people a list of choices, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, etc. And then we later asked, when you were growing up, what was the primary re- religious affiliation of your family? And we gave them the same options. Uh, what we saw is that 32% of Americans say that they were raised Catholic, but only 24% currently say that they are Catholic. Um, and of those 24% who say that they are Catholic, that includes 2% of Americans who grew up in some other faith, but now are Catholic. So we have 10% going out, 2% coming in, and the number of p- people who describe themselves as being Catholic now is, is a good deal smaller than it used to be. So that, that's kind of in terms of overall Americans. The other way to think about that, which I think gets to a lot of our experience in our, in our extended families and in our faith communities, is that uh, about a third of people who grow up Catholic no longer call themselves Catholic. That is what's very concerning to so many folks, uh, the people that don't call themselves Catholics any, anymore. Where are these uh, folks, where are they going? So when you, when you break down where those folks are going, the biggest single destination, um, 38% of people who leave the church become uh, Protestant. And most of those people are uh, kind of evangelical, Bible church, non-denominational Kind of um, kind of churches. Uh, some are going to what you'd think of as the more uh, mainline uh, churches, like Methodists and Lutherans. But but a, an awful lot of them are calling themselves non-denominational. The next biggest group is uh, those nuns. So twenty percent now list their religion as nothing in particular. Um, then you have uh, 11% who describe themselves as agnostic, 7% as atheist, and people who describe themselves as other. Um, so your, your biggest single block there are people who are going to other Christian churches, and after that you get into a lot of unbelief. Did you uh, get any um, information, any data on why um, these Catholics are leaving the church and becoming evangelical uh, Protestants? So there are two different ways that we kind of approach that question. Uh, one is we ask people, if you stopped going to church for an extended period of time, uh, why did you do that? Um, and the answers on that for, for Catholics and, and for others were kind of surprising. Um, I had expected answers about, you know, my belief in God, you know, what I thought about the Bible. The top answer was I moved away from the church I was going to. Um, and then after that came a, an answer, which is kind of theological, um, which is, I didn't think going to church was very important. So each of those answers got about 20% of people who said they'd stopped going to church. Wow. It, it sounds to me like uh, some of these folks that, that have left um, 
were not really well formed or catechized. They didn't really understand uh, the beauty of the Catholic faith uh, or the importance of going at least once a week uh, and um, and saying thanks to the Lord. Exactly. Now, the, the, we did take another approach to trying to figure out sort of how can we identify why these people are leaving and. So that was based on, we asked people a set of questions about how their family practiced their faith when they were growing up. And what we did find, which is, which is kind of encouraging, but it, it had its limits, is that basically the more actively a family practices their faith, the less likely people are to leave the faith. Now, I, I know that that's, um, there are no guarantees in all of this. These are kind of probabilities. But let me take a really small example that struck me because it was so stark. One of the questions we asked is, when you were growing up, how often do your family say grace before meals? Um, and we gave people options from daily all the way up to never. Uh, if you look at the people who were raised Catholic who say that they um, that their families said uh, uh, grace on a daily basis, 75% of those people are still Catholic and 43% of them go to Mass on a weekly basis. If you look at the people who said their families never said grace before meals, that drops to about 60% of people who say that they're still Catholic and 10% who are still going to Mass on a weekly basis. So we looked at a lot of things from how often your family went to Mass, to saying the rosary, going to confession, doing volunteering work with the church. And what we saw is that they all had some effect on how likely people were to stay Catholic, and the, the cumulative effect of them was a big effect on how likely they were to go to church. So uh, it was harder to predict who was going to actually leave the church and stop calling themselves Catholic, but having a daily practice of the faith, where the faith permeated everything from saying grace before meals to going to confession to saying the rosary as a family, these kind of things seems to keep people more tightly tied to going to Mass. And uh, pe- overall, if you look at people who go to, to Mass weekly versus people who do not, it, people who do not go to church as often are less likely to remain Catholic. Can't help but think of uh, Father Rocky, who says the family rosary across America every night with a, with a very large audience here on Relevant Radio. And he always uh, finishes by reminding the folks uh, that the family that prays together stays together. So th- this doesn't surprise me that uh, people who have been exposed to some of these true Catholic devotions, like praying the rosary and uh, confession and going to Mass, that they're still Catholic. I'd like to invite some of our listeners, uh, if you want to share your own experience uh, of why you're still Catholic and your thoughts on, on these numbers, these, the survey that uh, we're uh, hearing about uh, from uh, The Pillar, from Brendan Hodge, contributing editor of The Pillar, on why Catholics are leaving the church, why Catholics are staying in the church. Give us a call, 888-914-9149. We have some open lines, 888-914-9149. Uh, Brendan, we need to take a short uh, break, but we, we have much more to uh, chat about uh, on the other side. Is continue with Brendan Hodge, a contributing editor of The Pillar. There's more after this. Today, we'd like to thank Joshua, who's listening in Louisiana for donating his Ford. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com car. 
Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Uh, thanks for being with us as we continue our conversation with Brendan Hodge, contributing editor of The Pillar. We're talking about a special report, a special survey that uh, The Pillar has put together uh, on a variety of different issues. And we're talking about why Catholics are leaving the Catholic Church and why some Catholics are staying among uh, many uh, things that we're discussing. Uh, Brendan, welcome back. Great to be with you. Uh, Brendan, can you talk uh, a little bit uh, about uh, the role of Catholic schools? Uh, how, uh, how important is Catholic education? How does this fit into your survey? Yes, we were curious to understand um, what effect Catholic primary and high schools, and then also what effect Catholic higher education had on whether people remain Catholic. I know that that's one of the things when in my parish they talk about the parish school and the importance of Catholic education that gets talked about a lot is learning the faith and helping people stay. Um, at the same time, one of the things that we saw in our survey is that the number of people who are going to Catholic schools has been dropping over time. So the people we talked to who were the oldest people born in the 40s and 50s, about half of those who were raised Catholic went to Catholic school, whereas for those who were uh, born in the 90s and 2000s, it was down to about 30% of people raised Catholic were going to Catholic schools. So it is a diminishing group, uh, but it does turn out that there is a difference in how people, how likely people are to uh, remain Catholic and how likely they are to go to Mass based on whether they go to Catholic schools or not. Uh, so what we saw is that uh, of those who went to Catholic schools, uh, about 76% remained Catholic as adults, as compared to about 65% who went to uh, public schools. Uh, we weren't able to break down. We asked about homeschooling. We asked about other Christian schools. And the, the problem was uh, we really had pretty small numbers of people who fell into those groups. They're mostly fairly young and so we just didn't have enough people to say anything really solid about those groups. So it was Catholic schools and public schools we were able to talk about a lot. And there was also a difference in how likely people were to continue going to Mass. So among people who went to Catholic school, 36% go to Mass weekly versus among those who went to public school, only 25% do. Um, and then that difference was actually even more distinct when you looked at whether people went to Catholic colleges. Uh, which I, I think might have to do with when we ask people, if you stop going to church, when did you do so? Most people who stop going to church do so for the first time in their teens or in their 20s. So it's kind of right in that high school and college period. And then right as they're moving away from home and setting up life for themselves in another place, that's when a lot of people fall away from the church. And uh, when they start going to another church, uh, because a lot of people who do stop going to church do go back to church later. Some of those people are then going back to a different church rather than to a Catholic church. 
Very, very interesting uh, information from this special report on why Catholics uh, leave, uh, why Catholics stay uh, from the pillar. Our number, uh, if you want to be part of this conversation, uh, 888-914-9149. In fact, Linda is joining us from Orlando, Florida. Linda, good morning. Uh, You're on with Brendan Hodge. First of all, thank you for taking my call. Um, I guess it was probably 25 years ago. um, I had a serious faith crisis on something that happened, and um, I did two things. Um, It was um, I was engaged to um, a lovely gentleman who has since um, died. Um, and he, he was a slice of heaven, so it, I feel okay about that. But that was not the crisis. But um, on Christmas, we went to church. Uh, we went to midnight mass, and my um, youngest daughter went with us. And um, so um, before church, um, one of um, the ushers came up and asked us if we would um, serve communion. So. I said, oh, my daughter and I would be love to, because, of course, Jeff couldn't do it because he was Jewish. He was there out of respect. So when, um, after Mass, uh, we went to Mass, and he always loved to go to Mass with me, um, the priest came up to um, Jeff and said, you know, you couldn't even bring the host up and the wine up um, you're just a jerk. And um, I was mortified. Uh, your, your thoughts, uh, is this something that uh, kind of ties into so, sort of the reasons why sometimes why people end up leaving the church, um, Brendan? I think it does. Um, I mean, obviously what we have there is just a, a failure to think about uh, both why people are doing what they're doing and sometimes what they're doing is out of deep respect, not out of holding back and, and a failure of basic charity. Uh, and one of the things that we did see is that we asked, we gave people a lot of options in terms of why did you stop going to church for a while? And about 10% said, I did not feel welcome in my church. Um, and so I think that some of these things that may at a, at a human level seem like rudeness can really precipitate a crisis because when you put uh when you put someone in the position of being told that they're not wanted or they're not welcome in the church that they go to, uh, then that can bring in a lot of other religious doubts or feelings that they may be having and, and precipitate a bigger crisis. So it's important how we treat each other, even as we, we try to, to get across the truth of the faith. Thanks again, Linda, for sharing that uh, unfortunate story with us. Uh, Cindy, we have time for Cindy in Victoria, Texas. Uh, real quickly, Cindy. Hi. Um, when my mom and dad were bar- married, my mom was Catholic, dad was Protestant, dad agreed to have um, to raise the children Catholic, but he never attended church with us. And none of my family still con- continues to go to church. So it's like there was no example of the fatherhead going to Mass. He just agreed, let him be Catholic, but there's, he went hunting. And so now the, big, the brothers want to go hunting instead of go to Sunday mass with mom. So I think that fatherhood um, example would have helped in our family and probably in a lot of families. Brendan, your thoughts? 
I think that's a really good point. One of the questions we ask people is, what were the biggest religious influences on you? And the the, the response that um, they got the single highest likelihood to remain Catholic is if people said that both their mother and their father had gone to church with them as children and that their mother and their father were their biggest religious influences. So feeling that your parents are deeply engaged with the church is something that really helps people to maintain a connection with the church. And when they don't see that, as she described, that can be very hard for people to stay with the church. Thanks so much, uh, Cindy. Um, final minute, uh, Brendan, uh, final thoughts uh, on this survey and the one thing that really sticks out in your mind that we should keep in, in, in mind. So the biggest thing that struck me out of the survey is that almost 30% of Americans change religion during the course of their life. So there's a lot of change, and that's the case for Catholics too. 28% of people who are raised Catholic leave the church and join some other, some other religion. But Catholics have very few converts. Of people who said that they were Catholic, only 7% have been raised in another faith, and that is by far the lowest. A higher percentage of American Jews are converts than the percentage of American Catholics. So if you look at why people say that they started going to church when they hadn't been before, two of the biggest things are, I felt that something was missing in my life and someone invited me to come. So I think it points to all of us as Catholics that we need to evangelize and, and invite people to the church to meet Christ. Amen. That's what it's all about. Thank you so much, uh, Brendan. I really appreciate uh, you breaking this all down for us. Uh, wonderful survey by The Pillar, Why Catholics Leave, Why Catholics Are Staying. You can find much more at PillarCatholic.com. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you. Brendan Hodge, contributing editor from The Pillar. And now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Good For Them, Good For You. It's from Sunny Skies. Studies have shown a casual link where when people behave in this generous, kind way, they actually end up happier themselves. That from Elizabeth Dunn. She's a psychology professor at the University of British Columbia. Frankly, she told the CBC, I found it very reassuring that humans have this sort of baked-in tendency to experience joy from helping others. Dunn said her happiness research is conducted by changing the conditions that people are facing and seeing the results. In one experiment, researchers walked up to randomly selected people on UBC's campus, gave them either a $5 or $20 bill, and asked them to spend the money by the end of the day. Half were told to spend the cash to benefit someone else. The other half were asked to use the money to benefit themselves. At the end of the day, the subjects don't really know what the experiment is about. We just ask them about their day and ask them to rate how happy they felt. Dunn said, what we saw in that experiment is that people felt happier after using this money to benefit others than after using it to benefit themselves. Dunn said, the study suggests treating others with kindness is more effective for promoting our own happiness than treating ourselves. However, she says, being kind to ourselves is very important too. The form of kindness that's perhaps the most beneficial for ourselves is really all about self-compassion, the same sort of gentle compassion we extend to a treasured friend or maybe a younger person in our life that we care about. Philippians 2.3 finds St. Paul telling us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves. 
Thanks so much, Glenn. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Catholic Evangelist Martha Fernandez-Sardina will continue her weekly series, Remember You Are Loved. And I'll share my conversation with Peter Atkinson, the director of The Merry Beggars, a new apostolate here at Relevant Radio that produces original radio shows for families. Stay with us. There's much more straight ahead after this short break. 